Hey everyone, this is Maddie Kay, and this is another edition of the Working Experience Podcast. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Y'all need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was living his toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everybody, this is Maddie Kay, and I'm here with... Uh, John... As always, or, or not as always, because you were crapping on me for bailing out the last couple of uh, podcasts. Well, John has finally um, consented uh, to actually condescend, I, I should really say, to actually be on a podcast. Once every full moon. Yeah, I don't like to use the word henpecked about... Um, John's marriage, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll use it. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw I, it out I, there. Yeah, I don't want to use it, but I'll use it. Yeah, I did a podcast last night with our mutual friend Tom, uh, and we were, not to get into too many in stories, but we were recounting some stories about living in the Crack Shack 558 uh, in the Bronx and um, the jar of Vaseline that was used to hold up the couch at one point. And um, the roaches and uh, the the washing machine that would back up into the sink. I think you recall that. Um, ah, fun times. There were roaches in the in the tub when you go to take a shower, and and we did agree. It did. I mean, every place I've lived after that has been wonderful. Uh, listen, it's it's all perspective. It hardened us. If there were not roaches running over my food on the stove, I mean, it was golden. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely golden. I I distinctly remember Frank waiting weeks to do the dishes. Yeah. Nobody would break. Nobody would succumb. And there would just be, the dishes would just be flowing over onto the counter. And it was just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And I think there'd usually be like half a pound of pasta that was left in the strainer in the sink for like a week (laughs) on it. And then there was the garbage, which was like a Jenga puzzle. Like no one, everyone just kept like delicately placing trash. No one would empty it. (laughs) Ah, fun fun times. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I forgot why I brought Tom up, but uh, in any event. Um, it was a good podcast. He uh, he had some good stories about a job he turned down in Eastern Oregon and uh, some other stuff about working in the newspaper industry. But um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about, uh, I have a list here. I have a couple lists. One is uh, habits that drain your energy. And these are things related to, um, not all of them directly related to work, but certainly could apply. So I'll read them off and we'll, we'll, as usual, offer our commentary on them. Some of these I don't really agree with, but in any event. Now, where, um, where did you find this article? This was on my Facebook feed. I think it, it might be from Forbes. I get a lot of them from, or it might have been from the Wall Street Journal. I get those too. 
Um, or sometimes, as I've said before, like, I don't know how many lists there are out there. I mean, there's just list after list after list of things to do and then things not to do. And some of them are kind of contradictory. Um, I did read an article two days ago, uh, just in one of my solo podcasts about how to get power at work when you don't have any. So like if you're an entry level person, um, how to get, you know, in a position of power, even though it's not like, I forget what they called it. It's not like, uh, I don't know, recognized power. It's not official power, but, um, you know, it was sort of just how to like, I mean, a lot of it was just like ingratiating yourself with people, asking a lot of questions and taking on new responsibilities at work. And I told Tom, I've never been a person with initiative. Um, I don't really believe in hard work. I don't put myself out there. So I just kind of tread water. <laughs> you know, <And laughs> I'm, I'm not really looking to climb the ladder. You know, I just I just tread water, you know. Long as I'm not seen or heard, I'm good. I'm hey, good. You, you know, listen. There's there is um, there's the there the American view of like work till you die, and I guess that's also uh, true in kind of uh, Korea, South Korea, Japan, uh, some of the Asian countries, and then you have the European view, which is you know y- you live first and then work comes second. Um, and there is, you know, and we, the American viewpoint on that is, you know, these weak, lazy people, you know, that, uh, and that's the reason why America's great and, you know, make America great again. But, you know, there, there's a lot to be said to, um, you know, actually stopping and pausing for a moment and, it, first of all, enjoying life, being grateful for what you have, and also examining your life. Uh, from a, um, you know, from, from a very, very calm state. And, and for an American, that's like... Um, that's fraught with peril. Fraught with peril. America. I mean, you get two weeks of vacation on vacation. You know, they, you basically go on vacation to catch up on your sleep and, and drink yourself to death. And then you, <laughs> you come back into the mix and you start it all over again. Forget about self-reflection. Um, <laughs> no. And, and that's what... You know, I, I think that that's what's needed because what happens is, you know, it's like you you wake up and, you know, you're 45 years old and you're, you know, you're you're saddled with a mortgage. You got three kids, a dog, a job you hate. You're commuting two and a half hours a day and to to the outside world, you're a success. You've got a house, you've got cars, you've got a nice family, but you were, uh, you're, you're being eating from the inside out, you know, and it's just, um, and I, I think that's not just, you know, an issue with uh, millions of Americans. I think that's an issue with tens of millions of Americans. Um, and we had on one of the previous podcasts, we had read a stat, Right, I think it was in Forbes. What was the stat? Seventy-six percent of people hate their jobs. What was the stat, man? Seventy percent are in some way dissatisfied, and I think that kind of ranged from like waking up sick to your stomach to I don't really care about this job, you know. So, like thirty percent of people actually want to go and do their job, and they find satisfaction in it and enjoy it. So. 
<laughs> that's not a promising statistic. No, it, it, it's 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 not something to sit your kids down and tell them that's what they've got to look forward to. Well, you know, I Memorial Day weekend, uh, we were driving back from New Hampshire. We're on 93 South and we get stopped at a border check. I don't know if you've heard of these, but like Homeland Security Border Patrol was in the middle of New Hampshire. You're kidding me. No, stopping people and like we we get caught in traffic. We're sitting there. I don't know what this is. I thought it was maybe a DUI roadblock. They haven't done those in a long time, but they used to. Um, And this Border Patrol guy leans in the car and he said, are you American citizens? And we said, yeah. He said, "Okay," And we drove on. And I mean, forget all the political implications and all of that. I thought, does that guy really enjoy his job? <laughs> like he's on a he's spending Sunday of Memorial Day weekend standing on a highway, leaning into car after car after car, because it's just endless. Are you an American citizen? Like, is there a lot of job satisfaction? I mean, he seemed like kind of a jolly guy. He wasn't confrontational or anything like that. And he he said thank you. But, yeah, but uh, but I mean, I I, I don't. I mean, sorry to cut you off, but wouldn't you do that maybe like, I don't know, 50 miles from the Canadian border? Or, at a border. Or, I would think you would do it at a border, not in the middle of New Hampshire. Yes. I but agree. but even but even it would make sense if it was like, you know, somewhere near a border. You know, maybe someone slipped through, right? Yeah. But New Hampshire? Yeah. What? what? <laughs> what I know. I'm, a, I'm amazed. Like, New Hampshire tends to lean kind of libertarian, live free or die. Right. I'm shocked that they allow this to happen because it's really tends to run against the grain of how they view the federal government. And yeah, I, a I'm, very, like, very libertarian stand, you know, slant. Yeah. You know, the, no, no interference. I'm surprised too. Yeah. Um, so, but I wondered about those people who are out there. Like, I mean, I know it's your job. They probably get paid decently, I guess, but I don't know how much they make. Um, but it's just like the most boring, mundane, like, oh my God, I would just like, this is what I'm supposed to do all day. So I don't, it's a job, you know, I, and it, it's, it's better than working at 7-Eleven, I guess. So maybe it's not, I don't know. <laughs> maybe working at... 7-11. You know, it was funny. I went into the uh, convenience store near my school. Um, I go in there maybe, I don't know, three or four times a month to get a cup of coffee or something like that. I think it's a Cumberland Farms. And uh, there are people who, you know, obviously go in there every day. They know the, the women at the cash register who are very nice. They always say hello, good morning, whatever. And this guy walks up and he's like, hey, you know, Sally, uh, how's it going? She's like, oh, pretty good. Is anything new? She goes, nah, same shit, different day. <laughs> I felt like saying, get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that is a good t-shirt. Same shit. And I think that, as you were saying, for tens of millions of Americans, it's same shit, different day. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. I thought maybe I was talking to our friend Tom and... um we should probably change the name of this podcast to The Rut. <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about what a great word that is. It just tells you everything right in that word, The Rut. That, that's, <laughs> just, that's actually a good t-shirt. 
the rut the rut (laughs) i'm just in the rut you know same lunch every day (laughs) same you know you know but i think that's why like dunkin donuts is so popular up here it's like a cult i mean and i think this is nationwide at this point but massachusetts is where it started so it's like ground zero and i mean it's overpriced like i i can't eat sugar so i can't have 95 percent of the things in there even though i do like donuts and things there is a drink in dunkin donuts just a little sidebar uh one drink it's like a caramel macchiato or something like that it's got 1190 calories that's that's gonna get the day going in that drink and it's just a drink it's not even food um but I think a lot of people... They oh, uh, really... that's, uh, that's only in America right there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the, the portions are just like out of control. And, but I think for a lot of people, they re- like that is the high point of their day. They get to go there. They get a cup of coffee. They have like a nice little interaction. Like, again, when I've been in there, there's obviously people who go there every day. They know the cashiers and they have a nice little exchange. And that, that really is something that brings a lot of comfort well you I know guess. i was i was talking to um a friend of mine over this past weekend at a barbecue and i was like you know as you get older um i used to i remember you'd see something on the news or read something in the paper and you'd be you know guy you know strip strips naked and, and streaks around town or you know he does something horrible he like you know crashes his car and you know Beats his wife. Well, that, I shouldn't say beats his wife. He just does something completely ridiculous, and I and I would always think to myself, my younger self, I would say, why? How, why do these people do this? Like, what? What makes them do this? Now, now you know. <laughs> now, in retrospect, as I've gotten older, think about it. Yeah, it's it's like the old postal story. It's like you're you're living your groundhog way of life, your day, and it's just repeating over and over again. And no one's acknowledging it and everyone's shitting on you and there's no way out. You're shackled with debt. There's, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You break. And now I'm not in no, no sense of in the word am I condoning this behavior, but I can see why it happened. I now understand. I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, that guy, that guy broke or that woman broke because yeah. it is just a. A, a day in, day out monotony of just, just like you said, you know, same shit, different day, you know. Yeah. And if you can't laugh about it, or you can't, um, you know, put things into perspective, that can get to you. That can that can definitely eat away at you. Well, I think that's why the show, The Office, and like the Dilbert comic strip, like it's cathartic. Like you gotta. You know, it feels better when someone else recognizes the absurdity of it and the sort of pain of it. I mean, that's why people go to support groups and and all of that. Like, you just need, you know, some sort of like... I mean, there, there should almost be like an Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous for office people. Like, they can <laughs> go and say like... How absurd is this? Like, let me let and you know, listen to other people's stories, and it's cathartic, and you can. You know something, it, it just, Matt? That's really 
funny and a really good idea. We should yeah. put, we should do it in Boston and New York and, and put and up an ad and actually rent out a space and have people come and film it. That would be hilarious. Like, this is how I feel. I think it could tip from being hilarious to being like, this is re- like, this is how oh, I it's feel real. going to work every day. I oh, feel it's like real. Throwing but up. you know what? It's, it's also therapeutic to talk about it. Absolutely. And, and, and Absolutely. to get shared experiences. I mean, yeah. we would have to, we'd have to be upfront of who and what we are. We're, we're by no means any, <laughs> we don't have, we don't have any sort of licensing or any, uh, no. any experience, no. but like just going back to the office, my, my son, my youngest son, who's 11 watches the office and he watches on Netflix and he thinks it's hilarious. He thinks it's so funny. Yeah. Wait till he's working in that office. Yeah. yeah then it, then it's not going to be so funny. Well, no, but I think for a lot of people, it like they do find it funny, but they also find it like, yeah, I get this. Like, I get how frustrating that is. I get how like freaking mundane, like the original office, the British office, they would have these brilliant shots of just like the copy machine going. And it was just like a, a transitional shot, but it just showed the copy machine going, it's like... The monotony of it, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, you know. Um, well, this, I think, I, I think I'll switch lists here then because I think people are feeling more and more. This is 10 things to never put in writing at work. And um, I, I, a neurologist friend of my father's, he, um, he, he deals with, you know, adults. He deals with uh, young people, teenagers, and he says... He sees a growing sense of neuroses, and a lot of it he attributed to this sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, surveillance state. Like everything you do is under a microscope, and you know one false word, and you have problems. You know you have reprimands. You could possibly lose your job. You know people, people are still look at those FBI guys with the the Trump texts. And I mean, with, uh, you know, saying we got to get Trump out of office and now they're in a lot of hot water for that. And I mean, those are people who work for the FBI. Like they should really know better than to put that in a text message on their oh, government-issued oh, I mean, phone. I mean, people are, uh, I was reading an article that the, um, the, I, the way that the IRS has the highest percentage of busting people who avoid taxes is they go on Facebook and oh, they look at, you know, people will flaunt their new boat, their new car, the new vacation, and, yeah. you know, they'll report $22,000 worth of income. So these right. are like cash businesses, and they'll use it in court as evidence that, <laughs> yeah. that they went on an all-expenses-paid trip to Bora Bora at the Four Seasons, and... You know, or they just bought a, a $250,000 boat. Where'd you get the money for, the, you know, for the boat? It's just, look, I, um, I'm only involved with social media for, you know, stuff like this, the work and experience and for clients and for, you know, for marketing and promotion purposes. I yeah. used to post pictures on Facebook of like the family and the kids. Now, if you look at my Facebook feed, it's... Zero. Yeah, I, I, almost like I'm a dead person. I do not post. And I don't want. I frankly, 
and this might be a generational thing, is I don't want people to know where I am, what I'm doing, what I'm eating. I don't care. I don't care if you like it or if you don't like it. I zero. I have zero interest in another human being liking what I had for lunch. Zero. <laughs> not, not even an ounce of me wants yeah. that approval. Or yeah. for in, or this approval, disapproval, whatever. I just couldn't on Facebook I uh, my birthday is like November 2nd, 1901. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I don't even I get birthday remaining wishes. anonymous these days is, uh, I think, uh, I, it's not a generational thing. I mean, I know people older than me and my family who seem to document relentlessly everything they're doing. So some people just love that. You know, they love... And, and, then, and there's, look, and there's nothing, I, I'm not judging those people and there's nothing against it. I'm just saying, let's say from... A, you know, a work perspective, it, it becomes a surveillance state. People have to understand that they're going to be um, judged based yeah. on their posts, you know, yeah. uh, from current employers, future employers, from the government. Is that right? No, it's not right. I think that um, you should have a very strong level of privacy and you should be only be able, whoever you want uh, to see that, would see that. So even on like Instagram, if you're, if you have a private account, it's a joke to break into that. Like you can easily, same with thing with Facebook. Like you can, you don't have to be, you think like, Oh, only my friends can see this. And this is ironclad. Poof, that's easy. You can easily yeah. hack into that. Well, and also, I mean, if you want privacy, then don't put your life out on social media. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You, you know, I mean, you don't have to have a Facebook account you don't have to have Instagram or Twitter. You just disengage and, you know, people can still find out stuff more easily than they could. But as you say, like some woman got caught for defrauding the charity for the marathon bombing victims. Oh. And yeah, that's really something you want to be known for. The reason she got caught is because she put a picture of a house she bought in Pennsylvania on Facebook. <laughs> and it raised questions as to where did she get that money? And then that led to uncovering the fraud. And it's like, boy, you know, like they didn't have to track you down. You put it right out on Facebook. I mean, usually you'd buy the house under a different name and you'd hide the document. No, no, she puts no. it right on Facebook. Here I am. For, right, for the so, world um, to see. All right. So let's, let's go over this. Let's go on this list. All right. So these are things never to put in writing. Um, you know, I have to send emails to parents. Uh, I send emails to colleagues, sometimes kids, or I answer theirs. I keep my writing very minimal. Yes, no. I just, you know, no no judgment in there about anything. Or, or it's usually just to like, all right, let's talk about this or whatever. So number one was criticism. Even in jest of a colleague, a vendor, a customer, a partner, a job applicant, or a government representative um i do recall and this was pre like email when teachers were emailing parents and stuff this woman put in a note uh she used the word stupid referring to a kid and, <laughs> and sent the note home to the parent and i think this kid was in like the second or third grade i didn't actually see the note but my principal was saying listen do not put words like stupid in a note and, so, and then the teacher denied it. 
It's like, well, the parent has the note. And then it was like, no, I didn't mean the child was stupid. I meant it was stupid to do that. It's like, yeah, but you're talking about a seven-year-old. Like, I mean, just, you know, so. Right, right. It's just like, you got to watch. Uh, so I guess criticism, like if you're, like sarcasm does not come across well in emails. No, not, think, not at all. Yeah, not at so, all. especially if it's critical. Like if someone says like, gee, you really screwed that up and sent it to me. And I'm like, all right, what are you talking about? Or now, you know, especially in a professional setting, because you're talking about my job. Right, right. Jokes or, this is number two, jokes or humorous stories that are risque or derogatory toward any group of people, um, which I would agree with. I do not agree with the second part of this. Corny dad jokes are perfect. For example, never trust an atom. They make up everything. Oh, like why, why would you ever, I mean, <laughs> just can you imagine oh. emailing that to someone just totally out of context just like hey i think this is funny oh i mean just it just like you know the first thought that popped into to my head is like having to like laugh at your boss's jokes that yeah. are just like horrifically bad yeah oh just <laughs> also the, the like humiliation just ripping your soul out. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've definitely pulled back on things in emails. Like, I mean, nowadays it's just, I, I don't even think about it. But yeah, I've like, you know, gone to email something or I've gone to like put something on Facebook. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't think so. Like, just leave that. That, that could be misconstrued by someone. So, but it is like it does get a little bit stultifying where you're constantly watching every single word. And every time I send an email to a, a colleague or a parent, I immediately start second guessing myself. And I'm like, Ooh, did I word that? You know? Well, it's, you know, especially in today's day and age where, you know, you everything are, is taken wrong. Yeah. Things can be taken out of context oh, and, um, you, you've got, you know, um, you know, you've got trolls on the internet who live, live for this stuff. Just, yeah. <laughs> just the trash, on, just to actually rip apart somebody. Yeah. And, I mean, and forget about, you know, talking about politics. I mean, it's just, a, it's a minefield. Yeah. Well, you know, I do recall uh, when I was teaching in the Bronx years ago, this girl kicked a ball in this kid's face and kind of did it on purpose. And I said, stop being stupid you know right. and the next day her father was with her outside of school and he said you know my my daughter said you called her stupid and i said i didn't call her stupid i said it was stupid to kick the ball in the kid's face and she said and, and the the father was like what and i said well she you know a kid was leaning down to pick up the ball she ran up and this is uh, like a 13 year old girl so she's not a little kid Right, and kicked right. it into his face. And I said, he, he could have you know gotten hurt. And I just said, that was stupid. And he goes, oh. And he looks at her and he's like, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> I'm like, she, yeah. She I, left out that. Uh... Yeah, she left out that salient uh, fact. And he was like, oh, okay. He's like, well, I apologize. I thought, you know, and I was like, no harm. But yeah, you can totally take things out of context and leave out certain facts. Um. Number three, your romantic or amorous thoughts about anyone. I guess that's even outside of the office. 
I would want to put into an email that goes out to everybody about like the boss's wife saying like she's got a lot of ham on her hocks you know that <laughs> <laughs> she i bet she's a lot of loving <laughs> and then and tell them tell my boss like no no i was just saying yeah. that uh i don't know like what well, <laughs> you yeah, know that, that was that was can taken completely out of context totally someone hacked my email and uh <laughs> I bet she was something before electricity. (laughs) Um, Number four, your frustration with your manager, another manager, or the company in general. Yeah, you know, stuff like that uh, is probably not a bad idea to leave out. Uh, Number five, gossip. I had in here, I heard Lisa's constipated. You know, I just put that out there. (laughs) I don't know, I just... I heard she was. I just was wondering if anybody knew that. or <laughs> uh, Confidential or proprietary information that you do not have permission to share. Yeah, I can see that. Threats, even joking ones. And I put in here as a joke, I'm going to murder your children. Oh. And just be like, I was just joking. I was just, yeah. just, just a, a joke. That was a joke. Lighten up. <laughs> I know. I'm going to come to to 95 Crestwood Avenue, slip into your home, and slit your children's throats. <laughs> just LOL. Put LOL after Oh, it. God. But, you know, people do stuff like that. I mean, people do put these things in writing. It's amazing. And, and even now, people, like, you'd think this would be a no-brainer. Everybody knows you just assume everyone can read your email and act accordingly, you know. Right. Um, Discussion of illegal activities, even the office football pool, uh, your job search plans, target employer list, headhunter contact details, etc. Any message or sentiment that you would not be happy to have blown up to 100 times its original size and projected onto the conference room wall... With your company's executive team in the room. I guess that's probably the best guideline to go by. I mean, it's just more more rules. More rules. Yeah, I know. I mean, you just, I mean, you just have to, like, you know, un- unfortunately, in today's day and age, you really have to, you have to watch what you do. Yeah. Because it's like you're literally, you know, you could, you could say something and you know lose your job i mean everyone's so sensitive you know yes. you could say something and you could it could be a joke be taken out of context and all of a sudden you're, you you don't you know you don't have a job yeah oh yeah yeah or you make just sort of an innocuous or a comment you feel to be innocuous and it's like all of a sudden it's a big problem it's like you know and we had discussed this before about the um you know, the Google executive, the, the guy who um, uh, posted the, uh, the thing about, you know, female engineers. Um, and, you know, it was, it was pretty much torn up in the press. Um, but if you, you know, if you, I've actually read it. And if you, if you read, nobody's read it. It's like, it's long. No. It's like 15, 20 pages long. If you read it, what he's basically saying is that, um, you know, there aren't, um, 
you know, there aren't a lot of, you know, female engineers. And it, it's just like, you know, n- not because they're discriminated against. It's just because there's not, a, there's not a big enough pool to pull from, you know? And it's like, if you, if you have the government or, you know, a company saying, all right, you have to hire, you know, X amount of people because of the diversity and not hire the best candidate, you know, he's basically putting a spotlight on that. And like also in the recent news is, um, you know, Harvard, Yale, I think it's Harvard and Yale are now going to limit the amount of Asian students they accept because they don't want their student body to be comprised of all Asians because they're smart and they deserve to be in Harvard. And I think that's a form of racism. Like you can't, you know, you can't say, okay, we can only take, you know, 50 Asian um, students. You know, wh- why, if, if an Asian student beats out a white student or beats out a black student or beats out an Indian student or, you know, wh- whatever it is, it should be, uh, they get the spot. It's, co- it's competition. Yeah, and I... I um... Uh, for, you know, I would say like Asian students are not smarter than American students. I think they probably work harder is, is the deal. I don't think there's any like genetic disposition. No, there's not, there's not a genetic disposition. I'm not saying, and I know you weren't saying that, but some people really do seem to think that they really think like, well, Asians are good at math. Like, and you know, my friend Min, who's Vietnamese, we were joking about it one time. He said, well, I've only ever benefited from that stereotype because I, he gets hired to do computer programming. <laughs> and he said, they, they just assume I'm good. at." He's like, I'm not particularly good at math. I'm like, well, you know, whatever. Milk the stereotype. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and we've made this point before. It, it has never been in this country the best person for the job. It's like, who's my uncle you know, right. white people have benefited from affirmative action for 500 years in this country. I mean, just look at the CEOs, look at the presidents, senators, people in Congress. By and large, they're white men. You look at the people at Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Over the course of history, they've been white men. I mean, it, it's just th- this notion that, like, minorities get some sort of leg up from affirmative action is just... To me, doesn't even it's not even a drop in the bucket compared to how white people have benefited. It's it just comes from this assumption that number one, you'd hear like a, a white man saying, "Well, she took my job." It's like, what do you mean your job? Yeah, well, like, it was never your job. No, it was never your job. But that's the way it it's thought of as that, and it's because I'm better. Like I'm obviously better than any minority female whatever candidate so it's my job and anybody who gets that job over me who is a minority a woman whatever it's because of that not because they're better qualified so you know the google thing you know first i would say there are probably systemic problems in education that lead up to this women are just told you're not engineers girls are told you're not i i look at my english classes the honors classes are more female dominant and the lower level classes are more male dominant. That stereotype just persists. And 
you know, it's it, it, again when it reaches the level of Google, uh, you know, hiring people, does the federal government step in? And and it gets to another fundamental issue that I think he was getting at. And I have not read the memo, but I was reading something about it where is diversity good for its own sake? Like, do you benefit from that or not? Or is that I mean, just... I think you, I think to a certain degree you do benefit. You don't want your company to be comprised of all white males. I, I mean, don't think so. Th- that that's that's not going to um, that's not going to help you out in the, in the marketplace. You you need yeah. a diversity of ideas, but also it, it very may well be that um, uh, females don't enjoy uh, sitting in front of a computer for fifteen hours a day and coding. It, you know, it, it very well it could be that, or they yeah. or they may gravitate. And the same thing is like nursing. Like nursing is predominantly female. The, right. I mean, there are male nurses, but if you look at the statistics, it's predominantly female. Yeah. But a male is certainly is not discriminated against to become a nurse, though in society they are like it's a joke. I mean, there's like a haha joke about it, but yeah, they're they're not discriminated against. It just skews predominantly female. Yeah, and well, I, I and, mean, I know. think I think that the opportunity should always be available to male, female, regard, and also regardless of race, should be a clear. Like, if someone has an aptitude and they want to pursue engineering or um, coding or whatever it is. No matter what they are, should they should have that opportunity open for them. But also, too, we have to look at the fact that you know certain uh, certain genders just um, naturally um, are you know gravitate to certain fields. It's like I still don't know why you know uh, uh, women would want to become a soldier. Like, it's like, well, you could go, you go over to some foreign land, get your limbs blown off. I mean, it's just like, and, and there's no, nothing against like our troops who are serving, but I would just, I would think if a woman wouldn't want to do that, but I would fight for her opportunity to have that chance. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I think that's what, I mean, some women, they do want to serve their country. I mean, they do want to go in the infantry and be in the Marines and, and all that, and that's, I mean, I don't particularly want to, and my hat's off to them. They're a lot braver than I am, but, uh, I, and again, I think these things do go back to when a kid, you know, a girl is three or four or five years old and is just nudged into certain gender stereotypes, like, you know, and people do it uh, these days probably a lot more unconsciously than they do consciously, but... Um, you know, certain toys, superheroes. This guy did a great TED talk. I saw he has a young girl, and you know, she's really into like Game of Thrones and all that. And when he was looking at, you know, like uh, certain movies, where, like Scarlett Johansson is the star of one of these big Marvel comic movies. I don't remember which one it is. And then you look at the franchising, she doesn't appear on the t shirts, she doesn't appear on the lunch boxes, there's no action figure for her. So Oh, oh, there's, oh, yeah. I mean, Hollywood is wrought with those stereotypes. Well, and Disney, Disney was like, well, you know, we don't make them because they don't sell. It's like, but you don't make them. You don't market them. Like, and girls are taught, you know, again, like, this is for you and that's not. And like, math is not for you. Science is not for you. Engineering, you know, you're more suited toward English, writing poetry. And it's, you know, 
it's just persisted. I mean, I think it's better, but it's uh, persisted for a long time. I think the, the problems go deeper than the guy's Google memo. You know, I mean, he's looking at it just from the perspective of Google. And also, I think there are bigger issues at stake than the success or failure of Google. Like, yeah, I do think maybe if even even if I would take as an argument, it would sort of hurt your company in some way. I still think it's worth it. Like your company's bottom line is not the bottom line for society. Like those two things seem to have become conflated. And it's like, you know, Google produces some great stuff, but a lot of it is just, to me anyway, is like people staring at their phones endlessly. <laughs> I don't know about the worth of that. No, no. And, and there's also, there's a, there's a, um, privacy issues, you know, using your data against your will. Most people don't yeah. realize, yeah. you know, that Google is the, one of the largest companies on the face of this earth because they take your information, they sell it to advertisers. Yeah. And I mean, that's how they, that's how they make money. Yeah. So we can drop the holier than thou attitude. And uh, yeah, there are other issues. And, I, and, and again, like Google is not exactly the paradigm of, uh, you know, I think we looked at the statistics and Google is one of the better companies and it's still like 15% are non-white males, something like yeah, that. No, yeah, no, and, and, yeah, right, exactly. We looked at it and Google was... That's one of the better ones. One of the better ones, yeah. It's even, it's even, it's, it gets so bad. And as you go further up, like you said, like CEOs, it's just horrific. Yeah. Um, well, listen, Anthony, we got to wrap this up because I got to jump on another call. All right. So, uh, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another edition of the Working Experience Podcast. Yep. Thanks, everyone.